Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Good morning, everyone. You guys excited to be here? All right, all right, good. Appreciate the enthusiasm. So we're in part two of this series called The Art of War. And it's incredibly important, I believe, in our spiritual journey that we know how to do spiritual battle. And I think oftentimes in church, especially maybe in Bible churches, we talk a lot about our own desire to sin, our own flesh. We talk a lot about the temptations that the world around us brings to us and how that leads us into sin. But sometimes we forget about this spiritual dynamic, this spiritual warfare going on in life. In fact, at times I'll hear people say, well, why do we even need to talk about the devil at church? Well, I want you to understand that this is not some kind of devil-glorifying series whatsoever. What we want to do is to better understand our spiritual enemy so we can better fight against these forces of darkness. Basically, we need to learn the art of spiritual warfare. Now, the devil's mission is very, very clear. He is here to steal, kill, and destroy everything that matters to the heart of God. But the good news is greater is the one who is in us as believers than the enemy who is in this world. Amen. And this is what the Apostle Paul says about our real battle. This is Ephesians 6, 12. Listen up. He says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. In other words, the people who drive you crazy, they're not the real enemies. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. There's more to this world than just what we see. There is a spiritual world as well as the physical world. And he says this battle we fight is against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Now, if you missed last week, we talked about our spiritual enemy and we said he's known by many different names in the Bible. He's called Satan. He's called Lucifer. He's called the deceiver, the accuser, the destroyer, the father of lies, the prince of darkness. And in this series, we are looking at three images or metaphors of our spiritual enemy. And last week, we began with this. Who is the devil? We said, first off, Satan is the deceiver who attacks your mind with lies. He's the deceiver who attacks your mind with lies. Next week, we're going to talk about this. Who is the devil? Satan is the destroyer who attacks your will with pride. But today, I want us to look at the image of the accuser. Satan is the accuser who attacks your heart with accusations. And let me just start with a story and talk to you honestly about a time in my life when I heard the accusatory voice of the devil. Now, if you know me well, you know that for the most part, I'm a pretty chill, relaxed guy. Okay, My wife will attest to that. It takes a lot to get me worked up. But when I finally get there after burying it all inside, I can't have the propensity to snap a little bit. And so let me give you the backdrop for this story. Wendy and I decided that we were going to take a little road trip with our boys when they were seven and three years old, okay? Yeah, that's the setting. We had two-week vacation. We literally spent nine of those 14 days solid driving on the road, all right? Nine of the 14 days. We went from Georgetown up to South Dakota. We saw Mount Rushmore. Then we drove across all the way to Missoula, Montana, 
spent some time with my brother and his family. We came back through Wyoming, came down to Denver, Colorado, spent some time with friends, came down to Lubbock, Texas, spent some time with relatives, and then back home again. And all the while, we are driving with two very young, very energetic boys in a minivan packed full of stuff. And my wife, Wendy, she had arranged for our accommodations on this trip, and she told me ahead of time that she had a little surprise for us in Wyoming. And surprise is a code word for me that means stress, basically. And and again, don't get me wrong, the the trip had been going really, really well, right? We were having a good time. But as you can imagine, after a while, you you start to to wear down with all that driving. I think all total, we put about 4,000 miles on the van. Time we hit Wyoming, it was day 11, so maybe 3,000 miles under our belt. And the boys had been, well, boys, that whole day in the van. And you know the drill. Mom, he's touching me, right? Nathan, stay on your side. Dad, that kind of thing. And by that time, if they fussed, I would just kind of swing my arm back there in hopes of getting one of them, you know? I knew they were guilty. It's like, pop, 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 pop. And so... Finally, we made it to Wyoming, and we pull up to this great house. I'm like, whoa, it's a nice bed and breakfast, right? Really friendly host and hostess. And when we walked inside, saw the room and the mattress, I was like, oh, man, this is going to be the most comfortable place, the the only comfortable place we've stayed the whole time we've been here. I was elated. I could feel the tension just flowing out of my body. And that's when my wife, Wendy, announced the surprise. See, it turns out we weren't staying inside in that luxurious room. That had been booked by somebody else. Instead, my wife had arranged for us to spend the night outside in an authentic Indian teepee. (laughs) Wouldn't that be fun, she thought? So I I grinned on the outside, but inside, in that moment, something snapped. I I looked just a little bit like this right up here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I tried to fake it because we're talking to our host and our hostess, but in that moment, as one of my seminary professors used to say, I lost my progressive sanctification. And, and this, this giant teepee, it had a big fire on the inside. And so you could cook marshmallows and hot dogs and inhale smoke and tree pollen all night long, <laughs> trying to survive the freezing temperature. Can you tell I'm not a big outdoorsy kind of guy? So, so anyway, so we go out and we're in this teepee. And the boys are getting all excited about everything. Wendy's getting this thing going. She can tell something's really off with me. And so we left the boys inside just to play with the fire and see if they could burn down the entire state of Wyoming. <laughs> It was not Smokey the Bear approved. So we, we leave the boys inside playing with the fire. We go outside. We have a little powwow, appropriate term, given the environment. And, and needless to say, there were no peace pipes that were smoked, okay? I mean, there was an exchange of words that I care not to repeat to you right now. And eventually, I just, I just lost it. I said, you know what? I blurted out, I am out of here. I can't handle this anymore. I'm gone. I got to go get some pizza, okay? And I literally, I stormed off. I got in the car, started driving around randomly in the middle of Wyoming looking for a pizza place. And this is all true. Wendy knew it was serious when I said pizza. She calls that my reset button. Whenever I get stressed out, I have to have pizza. So so Wendy goes back in the tent. She has no idea where I've gone, how long I'll be gone, if I'll even come back, right? She just knows I'm out there. And so she explains to the boys that while they're cooking hot dogs over the fire, your dad is out hunting pizza, okay? It's what manly men do in Wyoming. They hunt wild pizza. And so I'm driving around. Literally, I have no map. I'm just looking for any kind of signs to a town somewhere. And the whole time in the car, man, I am just fuming, right? You've had those kind of moments before. And I'm just like, God, this is not fair, right? (laughs) What was she thinking? I mean, there was a perfectly good room inside this bed and breakfast, and she chose instead to revert to America circa 1492, 
Right? My wife doesn't know me. She doesn't love me. She doesn't care about me. She is purposely trying to torture me. I just know it. You know how the devil gets in your mind? And, and I'm thinking, and this other couple, why do they get to stay inside? Where's the justice in this world? Anyway, to, to make a long story somewhat shorter, uh, <clears throat> I eventually found my pizza. That was a glorious moment, okay? And, and then uh, I came back a couple hours later. I had some extra pizza for the family. And when I arrived back, folks, God had just amazingly answered my prayers. He had heard my prayers. You see, the, the couple that was scheduled to stay inside at the bed and breakfast, their car broke down, and they were stranded somewhere in the middle of Wyoming. They couldn't make it there. And so for a slight upcharge, we got to go inside, and I was like, God, you were so good. You purposely broke down their car for me. What a gracious, loving, good God you are. <laughs> I mean, that's literally what happened. That's literally what I was thinking in that moment. See, the devil... He deceived me, right? We talked about that last week. And he got me to act in a very non-pastoral kind of way. I mean, my thoughts, my words, my actions were anything but godly. But then catch this. When I reflected on that later, you know what the devil did? All of a sudden, he, he went from the deceiver to what? The accuser. And he made me feel just horrible. Like, I mean, you are the worst pastor, dad, husband. I mean, I experienced those fiery darts of accusation like you cannot imagine. Oh, you're just pathetic, <laughs> You're not a man of God. You shouldn't even be in ministry. I mean, your wife, she tried to do something fun and nice for you and the kids, and you were so self-absorbed. You blew the whole thing. You were so unrighteous, so undeserving, such a bad example to your wife, to your kids. And I'm telling you, you kept spiraling for days. This sense of guilt kept flooding over me. Man, I, I'm such a loser. I'm not a good dad. Shouldn't even be a pastor. Just on and on and on. The fiery darts of accusations were just bombarding my mind. But I hope you understand that those voices, they were not from my heavenly father who loves me. They were coming from my enemy who hates me. And you see, I share this with you very candidly today because I know I'm not alone here. I mean, how many of you have ever experienced that where you hear those voices inside, right? You know, I am not worthy. I'm not, I'm not, I'm just, you're not lovable. You're not trustworthy. On and on and on. Those are the voices of the accuser, the enemy. And my prayer for you is this. It's Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon turned against you will succeed. And hear this. You will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. By the power of Jesus, may you silence every voice raised up to accuse you. Now let's talk about the accuser. This is what John called the devil in Revelation 12, 10. He said, then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for thee. Now watch this. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters. The Greek word translated accuser there, it's diabolos. It's used 35 different times in the New Testament. It's translated as devil, adversary, or accuser. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. He is defeated by the risen Christ. He has been hurled down. But he doesn't stop accusing day and night. In fact, what the devil will do is before you ever sin, he'll lie to you. He'll say, you know what? Go ahead and blow off a little steam. You deserve that. Go ahead and, and yell a little bit, right? Go ahead and just drive off like crazy. And you know, She deserves that. And then afterwards, though, the tone changes. Oh, you are so unrighteous. You are so unworthy. You're so bad. You're so unlovable. See, before you sin, the devil lies. Go ahead. It's no big deal. Everybody does it. You're not going to get caught. And besides, who cares? It's your life anyway. 
Then afterwards, it's like, man, you're pathetic. You're no good. God doesn't love you. God could never, ever use you again after what you've done. That's too bad. See, before you sin, he lies. After you sin, what does he do? He accuses. In fact, write this down. This is powerful. When the devil talks to you about God, he lies. When the devil talks to you about you, he accuses. Think about that. When the devil talks to you about God, he lies. Did God really say? We talked about that last week, right? But then when the devil talks to you about you, he accuses. You're pathetic. You're no good. God doesn't love you. See how the tune changes? So how do we recognize and overcome the voice of the accuser? Well, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And I want to start by bringing you to a very powerful passage. It's actually found in the Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 3. And let me set the context for you here. Zechariah has this vision of a courtroom in heaven. So what I want you to do in your mind is to envision a courtroom. And there are three different characters in this story. First of all, there's God, and he's the judge in this story. And then there's Joshua. He's the high priest. He's the one on trial. He's the defendant, so to speak. And finally, there's Satan. He is the prosecutor. Satan is the one who's trying to convince God, the judge, of Joshua's guilt. He's the accuser. And what's really interesting about this story is that Satan actually appears to have a case about Joshua's guilt because he's going to say in a little bit here that Joshua's robes are dirty, filthy. And a high priest's robe should be clean. You know, filth is always a sign of sin in the Bible. And so Satan appears to have a case here. Maybe Joshua, the high priest, really is guilty. He's on trial. God's the judge. And Joshua is now being attacked by the accuser. And here's how the story goes. Zechariah 3.1. We'll begin here. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. Okay, let's pause for a moment. I want to talk to you about the angel of the Lord because this most likely is actually an appearance of Christ. And you may say, well, how is Christ in the Old Testament? Well, let me teach you a word that I learned in seminary. Okay, it's a word I never used before seminary. I've rarely used since seminary. But since I spent several years and a whole lot of money going to seminary, I'd like to use a seminarian word with you. Is that okay? <clears throat> okay, there it is. You ready? It's the word Christophany. Christophany. A Christophany is an appearance or non-physical form of Christ in the Bible. And there were actually many in the Old Testament. Let me just give you an example. In the book of Daniel, there were three Hebrew children who refused to bow down and worship a false god. And so they were thrown into this fiery furnace and suddenly says that there was a fourth man who appeared in the furnace with them, and none of them were being consumed. Who was that fourth man? Well, most biblical scholars believe that that was an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament in non-physical form, that that was a Christophany. Okay, back to our text. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right side. What was the devil doing? What he always does. He's there to accuse him. He's accusing Joshua. <clears throat> the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? In other words, he may be guilty, but he's being saved from the fire. And now here's the truth. <clears throat> now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. See, he was dirty when he should have been clean. Now imagine this, he's standing before God and apparently he is guilty. Wow. 
Have you ever been somewhere and you were underdressed, like way underdressed, anybody? <laughs> you know, last year I spoke at this men's conference and the other speakers were all dressed up in suits and ties and I was, well, me, okay? This is me all dressed up, okay? <clears throat> but nobody told me. And so I wasn't in the appropriate attire there. Imagine though, standing before God and you're not just underdressed, right? It's more than that. You've got sin on you. You've got the stain of sin covering you. God is holy, and all of a sudden, you just feel incredibly guilty. And then on top of that, imagine this. You've got a prosecutor, an accuser, Satan, the devil, just sitting there pointing out everything that you've done wrong. Whew. You know, for me, it, it could be, and all these would be true. Hey, Brian, didn't you lose it in front of your wife and children? Didn't you do that? I mean, didn't, didn't you destroy public property back when you were a teenager? Don't ask, okay? <laughs> Didn't, didn't you just, I mean, man, didn't you say a really bad word out of anger that time? Didn't you do that, Pastor Brian? Right? Didn't you slam the door and storm off? Didn't you hurt people again and again and again? And, and I can just feel myself there just shrinking under the devil's accusations. And I don't know what he would say about you. Maybe it's, didn't you lie? Didn't you cheat? Didn't you commit adultery? Don't you battle lust? I mean, there you are looking at porn all week long, and then you come to church, and you act like you really love Jesus. Didn't you let somebody down? Didn't you hurt that person? And on and on and on, that's the accuser. Hurling shame and guilt and condemnation. It's what the devil does. He's the accuser who accuses God's people. He accuses you and I, God's people, day and night, day and night. Now, before I read the rest of the story, let me give you some really good news. You see, we've talked about the devil, but we also have to talk about Jesus. Who's the devil? The devil is the accuser. Who's Jesus? Well, the good news is Jesus is your advocate. This is a good one. 1 John 2, 1. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. So we have the one who accuses again, again, and again, but then we have the Son of God, who's our advocate. He's our friend. He pitches our case. He defends us whenever the devil attacks us. So the devil, he's busy trying to prove Joshua's guilt. Jesus is the defense. Look at verse 4. The angel said to those who were standing before him, Joshua, take off his filthy clothes. And then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin and I will put fine garments on you. Yes, you're dirty. Yes, you're guilty. Yes, you may be unworthy, but I am taking away that which shows the residue of your sin. I'm putting fine garments on you. I'm putting something on you that you cannot earn, that you do not deserve. I'm not doing it because you were good. I'm doing it to show how good I am. I'm putting fine garments on you. Take off those filthy clothes. Put those robes of righteousness on him. See, I have forgiven you. You know, this perfectly parallels a story Jesus told, recorded in Luke 15. Many of you have heard this. There was a father who had two sons. And one of the sons, one day he said, you know what? I want what's mine. I want to go out and live the way that I want to live. I don't want to live according to your rules. And so the son, he takes off. And he lives wild. He parties hard. And he does that for a season. And then one day he comes to his senses. He wakes up and realizes, oh man, I am messed up. Why did I do this? 
And listen, some of you, that's exactly where you are right now. All right, you thought, that, well, this is where I thought I wanted to be, but this is really so far from where I wanted to be. And so this son, he's hurting because of his sin. He feels this conviction. He comes to his senses and he even realizes, you know what? Even the servants who work with my father have it better off than I do. And so he thought, maybe I'll go back and just ask my father if he will make me like one of the servants. But when he comes back into town, he has no idea that his father is not angry. His father is not mad. Instead, the father has been waiting on the edge of town every day, watching, looking. Will today be the day when my son comes back home? And when the father sees the son in the distance, the father runs toward his son. And even though the son is filthy, even though the son is dirty, the father takes off his very own robe that is completely clean and uses that to cover the son's filth, to cover the dirt. And so instead of seeing the son's filth, what does he see? He sees the righteousness of the father covering his son. And the father says, you're always a son to me. Come home and let's celebrate. And that's a perfect picture of what happened in Zechariah 3. Joshua, the high priest, he is guilty. But the angel of the Lord, Christ in the Old Testament says, take away those filthy garments. Put on these nice garments. See, I have forgiven you. And folks, it's all by grace. It's all a free gift of God's grace. I have forgiven you of your sins. And then in verse 5, we read, Then I said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in obedience to me and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts. And I will give you a place among these standing here. The angel ordered, take off the filthy garments, put on the fine garments, and then get back to that temple and serve me. Yeah, I don't know who needs to hear this this morning. But maybe you're here and you've been living under the accusations of the devil. You can't. You never will. After what you did, you're unworthy. You've gone too far. God can never use you. God says, no, 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 no. I have forgiven your sins. Get back to the temple and keep on serving me. Get back in the game. Keep on loving others. Keep on serving others. Keep on pointing others to me. Now, here's a crucial question. Whenever we do something wrong in life and we have that inner sense of something, you know, how do we know where that's coming from? That's a really good question. I think as Christians, we need to be able to distinguish between the accusations of the devil and the conviction of the Spirit because they're two very different things. The devil accuses, the Spirit convicts. You know, whenever the devil accuses, it, it draws you away from God. It drives you away from God. It's going to lead you to think, you know what, I'm not worthy. I can't even go into God's presence. But when the Spirit convicts, it leads you to God. Boy, I need his grace. I need his mercy right now. See, there's a difference between that accusation and that conviction. Accusations, they, they make us feel guilty, ashamed, dirty, distant. The conviction of the Spirit shows us our need and draws us into the goodness and grace of God. The conviction of the Spirit leads us to confess to the one who promises to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You know, the devil knows your name, but he calls you by your sin. God knows your sin, but he calls you by your name. Hmm, think about that. Well, the devil knows your name, but he calls you by your sin. 
God knows your sin, but he doesn't hold that against you. In fact, I love the way the Apostle Paul describes this whole process. How do we do battle against the evil one? Listen to this. He says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And hear this. And we take captive every thought, every thought, to make it obedient to Christ. Folks, whenever the enemy starts lying, accusing, telling you what you are not, take captive that thought. And by the way, this is proof that not all thoughts are your thoughts. If you hear nothing else, hear me on this. Not all thoughts are your thoughts. When you're in a battle, who do you take captive, your own or the enemy? You take the enemy captive. So there are enemy thoughts going on on here that the devil shoots into your mind. And when that happens, we're commanded, we're told to take those accusations of the enemy, capture them, and make them obedient to Christ. So whenever you hear you're a failure, you're no good, correct the devil. Say, no, no, no. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm a new creation. The old is gone. New has come. Satan says, well, God is punishing you. God is punishing you. Now, my father's a good God. He gives good gifts to his children. Devil says, after what you've done, God can never use you. God doesn't love you. No. I take that thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Truth is, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ, the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. My God's with me. My God's for me. Greater is he who's in me than the enemies in this world, right? I am not who the devil says I am. I am who Christ says I am, his child. Folks, you got to fight. Remember last week we talked about this. You got to take that word of God, the sword, and fight. Because what the enemy's trying to do is he's trying to take you out. He's trying to convince you it's not worth living. You can't do this. You can't live for God. You can't make a difference. He has a mission to steal, kill, and destroy everything that matters to the heart of God. And he attacks you with accusations. That's the way he does it. He attacks with accusations. I know because I've heard it. I've experienced it. I hate it. Brian, you're not good enough. You're not worthy. You shouldn't even be a pastor. You think you're a bad example. No, 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 no. Wait a minute. The righteousness of Jesus is my righteousness. When God looks at me, he doesn't see my unrighteousness. He sees me clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I am found in Christ. I'm made completely new. So I can lay down my life for my family, for my friends, for my church, just like Christ sacrificed for the church. Yeah, I might not have gotten it right back then, but I'm getting it right now. Because the Spirit of God is dwelling in me. The devil's a liar. Jesus is the truth. So, so when Satan accuses you, here's my prayer for all of you this morning. You ready for this? When Satan accuses you, my prayer is this, that you would learn to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Don't let that thought simmer. Don't be chewing on that thought. Take that thought captive. Because when you know the truth, the truth will set you free and you will silence every voice raised up against you. And here's the really, really good news. Don't forget this. Jesus is your defense. He is standing by you. And greater is he, the spirit of Christ living in you than the enemy in this world. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. 
Lord, I want to thank you so much because I remember the moment in my life when I realized that not all thoughts are my thoughts. I remember listening to my brother, Tony Evans, and he was preaching on this passage about taking captive every thought and talking about the fact that when you're in battle, you don't take captive your own. You only take captive the enemy. So there must be enemy thoughts. And I know, Lord, that the enemy, he can't read our minds. Like, like you can read our minds. You know everything. But he can certainly fire those darts of accusation. It's talked about again and again and again in the New Testament. He can attack. There are enemy thoughts, and we've got to take those captive. And, Lord, I know sometimes it's hard to distinguish. I, I think about Peter and how in just a, a few minutes' time, he announced that you were the Christ, the Messiah, and you said, Peter, that thought didn't come from you. It came from God. And then just a few minutes later, Peter blurted out that, no, Lord, that's not going to happen to you. And you turned to him and said, get behind me, Satan. So in just a few moments' time, Peter heard the voice of God, and then he heard the voice of the enemy. And, and Lord, it's hard sometimes to distinguish in our own lives between the accusations of the devil and the conviction of of the Spirit. But I pray that we would recognize that Satan is the accuser. And he's always going to try to draw us away from you. He's always going to try to condemn us. He's always going to speak lies about us. But I thank you so much, Jesus, that you are our advocate, that you speak in our defense. And in fact, your defense is quite simple, that for all those who have put their faith in Jesus, for salvation, for eternal life, for forgiveness. They are clothed in the very righteousness of Christ. May we just embrace that truth. May we live in that truth. May we stand against the lies of the deceiver. May we stand against the accusations of the deceiver, of the accuser. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things.